If you've enjoyed listening to Issues Etc. in 2022, please make a year-end tax-deductible gift to support this worldwide outreach. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism, and a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a secure online contribution today at issuesetc.org. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support at the end of 2022. Some Christians regard this as a children's hymn, Old Little Town of Bethlehem, really only good for the children's Christmas pageant, but it actually has very deep biblical roots in the Old Testament, of course, in the New Testament. So why don't we study this Christmas hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem? Merry Christmas and welcome to Issues Etc. on this Monday afternoon, December the 26th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Dr. Arthur just joins us for the first hour to study the Christmas hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Then we'll discuss holiday depression with Dr. Beverly Yonke. Dr. Arthur Jess is professor of New Testament at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, and author of the two-volume Concordia Commentary on Luke and the book Heaven on Earth. Dr. Just, welcome back. Nice to be with you again, Todd, and uh, blessed Advent and Christmas season. There are many, and I think it may come from its Christmas pageant associations, who would say, O Little Town of Bethlehem is only a children's hymn. How would you respond to that? Well, it was written for a Christmas program for children in uh, a Sunday school at Holy Trinity in Philadelphia in the mid-19th century. So its first appearance, both text and tune, was in a children's service. So the author certainly thought it was appropriate to be a Christmas carol for children. Some might say also that it presents too gauzy of a picture of the Luke account, which it's obviously based upon. As a Luke scholar, how would you respond? Well, I think there's some truth to that, but... The background on this hymn, I mean, before I, I studied it, I always thought it was an English hymn, but it's it's an American hymn. Philip Brooks is an Episcopalian pastor from Philadelphia, and he was a young man, went on a pilgrimage to Palestine, and on Christmas Eve, he, he rode by horseback from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, and it was, I guess, a, quite a moving experience for him. The entire scene, seeing a cave and seeing shepherds and sheep and stars and and then worshiping in the, the church there in Bethlehem for five hours. It was a five-hour liturgy for him. And it was two or three years later, as he was thinking about the children's program that year, that he went back and thought of that little pilgrimage he made, and the hymn resulted from that. And it is it is a very—what he does is, and I think there's some legitimacy to it, is— that he really paints a very verbal picture of the night of Jesus' birth. And it is, you know, sort of a little kind of warm and fuzzy. But there's some, you know, the more you study it, the more you think about it, there's some very profound theology here. And um, I think the, the count in Luke is sparse enough so that, you know, you can— write a hymn like this. I mean, 
you know, if you think about it, there were shepherds abiding in the fields. There were the angels in the sky. And all those things, you know, are part of, you know, what was exactly happening at the time of Jesus' birth. You mentioned the author. What what do we know about the author and the history of this particular hymn? He is a, a, a man, I think, that is really not as well known except for this hymn. And um, he obviously had a, a wonderful poetic spirit. I think one of the interesting things about it is that he was just a parish pastor. He had a Sunday school program coming up. He wrote the words to this hymn, and he, he gave it to his organist and said, put a tune to it. And um, the organist, Louis Redner, must have been a pretty talented guy. He actually struggled with getting the tune right, and they were going to have the program on Sunday, Saturday night. He still didn't have a tune. He woke up in the middle of the night. And um, it came to him, and then the next morning filled out the harmony, and and it's the tune that most of us are familiar with, although there is another alternative that they sing in Britain, and I think some of our congregations are singing it now. It's The tune is Forest Green, and um, you can find that tune in LSB on the next hymn from O Little Town of Bethlehem, the, the hymn by Stephen Starkio, Sing of Christ. You can sing them to the same tune. But this tune is is one that I grew up with. I'm sure you did too. And what I think is so fascinating about the little history here of, of this text and tune is that these are real-life pastors and organists who are just trying to do their due diligence to a Sunday school program and it produced maybe one of the most beloved Christmas carols of all time. Then it probably goes without saying that Luke 2 is the text here, but what would you what would you say about its presentation of the, that primary text? Well, I think that it is a hymn that speaks more of how the Christ child comes to us. It's more of a personalized hymn. There certainly is some sense of Luke 2 there, but, you know, the, the silence of the town, in many ways, it's about Bethlehem. And it's about, you know, the town of Bethlehem and the surrounding sky, especially. And it, you know, it it does talk about how heaven and earth are rejoicing at this birth. And it's in many ways, more of a devotional hymn that uses Luke 2 and Bethlehem as sort of the backdrop for the, um, the importance of the birth of Jesus. And it does paint a very kind of vivid picture of what at least Philip Brooks experienced in the 19th century. And I'm guessing that that it wasn't too far from what it was like in the first century. Here is the first stanza of the Christmas hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem. O Little Town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Thy dark 
Dr. Jess, I think what strikes me most about that is the irony in the first stanza here of, and it's really reflecting the irony of the Old Testament prophecy about Bethlehem being the birthplace of the Messiah. Yeah, no, I think Micah 5, two is just kind of the, the tapestry out of which this verse is weaved. You know, and, and if you remember that verse, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. You know, in the original handwritten text, uh, Philip Brooks had capitalized everlasting light, so that in many ways it's that statement there, the everlasting light that is the focus of this of this verse. And that the backdrop, of course, this silent, still Bethlehem, and yet that in its deep, dreamless sleep, the stars, you know, and you can kind of sense what Philip Brooks was experiencing as he comes into Bethlehem and sees the stars. But, you know, that quiet little town in its dark streets, the light of the world is being born. And you can't help but love that last line, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight in this little town. And you're right, Todd, that verse from Micah 5-2, that, that so little among the clans of Judah, this, this town that is really a nothing of a town, all the hopes and dreams of the entire cosmos up to this time are now reaching their goal in this little town of Bethlehem. The theme that this verse brings forth, as you have just said, is one that plays out in the ministry of Jesus, not so much with regard to Bethlehem, but with regard to his being a a resident of Nazareth. Again, a, a backwater, insignificant kind of a place. Yes, I think so. I mean, the humility... Of, of both Jesus' birth and where he grew up are just profound. And, and, you know, we really don't know anything about Jesus except for a brief appearance in the temple at 12 years old from his birth until his, his public ministry. And we know Nazareth is thought of as sort of a, a nothing town. So, yeah, the, the sense of Jesus being somebody who comes out of nothing— you know, in this still quiet town is where he's born. And the poetry, Above Thy Deep and Dreamless Sleep, it's a sleepy little town. I do think, though, the darkness and light imagery here is so profound. And, and all during Advent, of course, we hear from Isaiah that theme, Isaiah 9, Isaiah 60, how the Messiah brings light, the light into the darkness. And of course, that's a great theme of John's gospel. But I think what he's trying to do here is is to give us a sense that when he arrived there on his horse in the darkness with the stars, and it was a, a t- just a tiny, sleepily, sleepy little town, you know, in the darkness of that town, this is where the light of the world was born, and 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 this is where the hopes and fears of all the years come together in the in the Christ child. One other thing on this stanza that I think needs to be kind of noted, and that is, this is also about not just stillness and darkness, but also about silence. Something is happening here 
And of course, the silence will be broken. But at this point, this town is waiting in stillness and silence for the birth of this Savior, who is the eternal word of God. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, and and he uses the word for the stars, you know, and, and you think about it, you look up in the sky, you don't hear the stars. He will come back to this in verse 3, beginning how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. And yeah, I think the silence of, of this, there was no drum roll, there was no great, I mean, certainly when the angels come, which this this text does not necessarily refer to, but probably that that was a little bit more of a tumultuous sound perhaps but at the birth of Jesus there it was quiet what does it mean that god would choose obscurity in a lot of ways an unexpected arrival of his son in this in the world in such a humble way well it's what i we just talked about this in class yesterday we were looking at the magnificat and it's part of that what I call the great reversal theme, how everything is the opposite, you know, of what you'd expect, humanly speaking. It's counterintuitive, you know, the first or last, the last first, the humble are exalted, the exalted are humbled, and that God comes in mercy. He doesn't come with vengeance. He comes with love, not with wrath, because vengeance and wrath are going to be laid upon him. And it's a completely unexpected sort of way for God to, in a sense, bring about the full redemption of the world. It is violent. I mean, and we know that from the cross and also just even during the ministry of Jesus. But at the same time, though, it's 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 not the violence of a military war or anything like that. It's it's the violence of, of God attacking sin and sickness and Satan, and seeing it all come together in a horrifically cosmic way at the cross in darkness and in pain and suffering. We're studying the Christmas hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem, with Dr. Arthur Just of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. On the other side of the break, For Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above, while mortals sleep and angels keep their watch of wondering love. O morning stars, together proclaim the holy birth and praises sing to God the King and peace to all the earth. If you've enjoyed listening to Issues Etc. in 2022, please make a year-end tax-deductible gift to support this worldwide outreach. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism, and a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a secure online contribution today at issuesetc.org. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support at the end of 2022. For nearly 140 years, the Lutheran Witness has taught the faith, defended it against error, and shown forth the great treasures of the Lutheran Church and biblical doctrine. We're continuing this legacy by publishing issues and articles that help you see the world from a Lutheran perspective and that teach biblical doctrine and show forth the treasures of God's Word. Visit our website to learn more and how to subscribe, witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective.
the faith once for all delivered to the saints. You're listening to Issues Etc. Life Week 2023 with Lutherans for Life is coming soon, and you're personally invited to join in celebrating that you are blessed for life. From Sunday, January 15th through Saturday, January 21st, 2023, go to lutheransforlife.org for more information and for Zoom links. Lutherans for Life, equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. lutheransforlife.org, lutheransforlife.org. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. This is what we believe and confess at Grace Lutheran Church in Rochester, Minnesota, and we apply this verse through the reverent, joyful, and traditional divine service. If you live in Rochester or are visiting, we invite you to join us for the divine service on Sunday at 9 a.m. or Wednesday at 6 p.m. Our website is gracebythelake.org. Stanza two of the hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem. We're studying this Christmas hymn with Dr. Arthur Just. He's author of the two-volume Concordia Commentary on Luke and the book Heaven on Earth. You can purchase these resources by calling Concordia Publishing House weekdays during regular business hours, 1-800-325-3040, or on the Talk on Demand archives page at issuesetc.org. Dr. Just, how would you lead us through this second stanza? Well, this is where there are angels referred to, but it's not the angels that come to sing the glory in excelsis. Uh, these are the angels at the very first creation when the morning stars sang together, as it says in Job 38, 7, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. And so you, you have a sense here of heaven and earth finding a cause for the resounding joy at the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. And that the, the, the heavens themselves, while mortals sleep, you know, they are ready to proclaim what is about to happen. And I'd love this verse in some ways more than any other, because it, it shows you sort of the cosmic character of Jesus' birth, that that this, this is now the creator coming to his creation to make all things new, to take flesh and to redeem flesh and all of creation with him. And, I mean, this is the reason for, for praises to God. And as it says in the Gloria, there's going to be peace on earth, okay? Not the kind of peace that, that we might expect, but that God has, has restored a creation that he created good, where the angels and the morning stars sang together at this beautiful, good creation of God, that the creator now has come to make it good again. And he's going to do it through his own flesh, a flesh 
that is the Christ born of Mary. So it's it's a marvelous verse. I mean, in many ways, you know, you you do talk about the the really soppy picture of Bethlehem that this hymn might paint, but this is a pretty profound verse, and it is a deeply theological and deeply reflective verse on the very nature of God as creator and recreator. You alluded to that Job 38 verse, which in its original context, God is interrogating Job about his absence at the creation. Were you there? And yet it comes to beautiful fulfillment in this greater beginning of a new creation with the birth of Christ. Yeah, and that's exactly how to put it. This is the beginning of the new creation. And I think the fact, as we mentioned in the first verse, it comes in such humility is what shocked everybody. I mean, it, it, it just was not what anybody expected. And I think Philip Brooks kind of captures the, as you said, the silence, the darkness, the, the sense of this being a very sleepy town that is, that is simply kind of waiting for something but not knowing quite what it was going to be. And they were going to be surprised beyond all measure that it didn't come in any of the way that they expected it to. We're told in Scripture that we are given access to things into which the angels long to look, and yet they are the heralds of this. It's no mystery to them, although this Savior is not coming for them. They don't need one. The holy angels don't. But yet, why are they joyful about this human Savior? Well, the the angels recognize that the power of darkness that they themselves struggle against through us and in the world, that that conquering of the darkness with the birth of the everlasting uh, light, that that is what this birth is about. And so they, they know now that if you go back to Revelation, St. Michael and all angels, that the, the war in heaven is now going to be fought and won by the Prince of Light over the Prince of Darkness. And so I, you just got to feel like they, maybe, I don't know if this is the right way to put it, but the greatest reinforcement they could possibly have in the angelic war is being born in the humble town of Bethlehem. What is the peace that they can already proclaim, although he is still yet a child and has not yet accomplished his saving work, why can they already herald God's peace with men? Well, I wonder if they, you know, like us, know that the the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. So they knew that when this birth happened, when the everlasting light was born, that peace was now, it's going to happen. I mean, one of the things I teach in uh, Luke's gospel, I just did it yesterday, is that that peace on earth and peace in heaven are referred to at the birth of Jesus glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. And that same expression, except it's it's heaven, happens when Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And you can see that there are these moments in Jesus' life at his birth. Well, going back to the actual annunciation and at his birth, at his baptism, and then when he enters Jerusalem, that the peace that perhaps the world does not understand, that passes all human understanding, that peace is, is born in Bethlehem. That peace is, is being lifted up on a cross. And I think the angels know that. And I think the angels sing that. And the angels, you know, are ready for that to, 
to happen. And in a way, like us, they know it already has because the lamb has been slain from the foundation of the world. So their anticipation from an eternal perspective. I think so. I think that's exactly right. Then talk about this, what the hymn writer calls their watch of wondering love. This isn't just watching that night for the child to be born. They have been waiting all eternity from their creation for this. Well, they know that the greatest attribute of of God is love and that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I actually do believe that under this wondrous love is that verse. And they know that love is born in Bethlehem. I mean, we have a beautiful hymn about that. Love caused your incarnation. Love brought you down to me. And I mean, I think that's a Paul Gerhardt hymn. That, that, you know, this wondrous love is what they've been waiting for God to kind of unleash in the humble birth of Jesus. And now they're seeing it. Now they have reason to, in a sense, gather the the choirs that sung at the first creation to now kind of get together to sing now in the birth of the new creation. Dr. Arthur Just is our guest. The Christmas hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem, is our topic. I'm Todd Wilkin. You're linked to Issues Etc. Dr. Jess is professor of New Testament at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, where they form servants in Jesus Christ who teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. Learn more about studying for the vocations of pastor or deaconess at ctsfw.edu or by calling 1-800-481-2155, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. When we return, stanza three, How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Church music directors can find a new community at Prelude to Postlude, the CPH Music blog. Learn helpful tips for managing music ministry and involving members, and meet the composers of some of your favorite new pieces. Plus, find suggestions of music to use for special services, and preview some of our newest works with free samples you can use at your church. Visit us at preludetopostlude.org. I'm Chaplain Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Congregations work hard to keep the Word of Christ dwelling richly in His disciples now and into eternal life. We work to help and support that effort. Learn more at lcms.org worship. You'll find resources on the church here, Bible studies on the hymns of the day, audio helps for learning to sing our services, and look for worship planning resources to find the latest from LCMS Worship. That's lcms.org slash worship. May the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Is your child struggling at school? Are you thinking about homeschooling? Would you like help knowing what to teach and how to teach it? The Simply Classical Curriculum from Memoria Press provides an enriching step-by-step classical Christian education for students who have autism, learning or behavioral difficulties, ADHD, and more. You'll find everything you need, including daily lesson plans to guide your way. Learn more at simplyclassical.com. Use LPR23 to save on your order.
simplyclassical.com. Metro East Lutheran High School in Edwardsville, Illinois, is looking for an English teacher with a master's degree for the 2023-24 school year. Edwardsville is 30 minutes from downtown St. Louis. The position would involve teaching upper-level, dual-credit English classes. For more information, send an email to Principal Jay Krause, J-A-Y-K-R-A-U-S-E, at M-E-L-H-S dot org, Jay Krause at M-E-L-H-S dot org. Expert guests, expansive topics, extolling Christ. You're listening to Issues Etc. I like to think of the deaconess vocation as driven by two things, the love of Christ and the needs of our neighbor. Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. James Busher, Director of Deaconess Studies at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, on the vocation of deaconess. First, the deaconess is moved by the love of Christ, who came not to be served, but to serve. Yet I think we can also see the profound needs around us, broken families, loneliness, despair. Deaconesses help the church to become a true family that manifests the love of Christ in our love for one another, and especially for those in need. For more information on the Deaconess Studies program at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, visit ctsfw.edu or call Concordia Theological Seminary at That's Musica Sacra with stanza three of the hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Dr. Just, what would you say about this stanza? Well, in, in some ways, the uh, reference you made earlier about the silence, I think, is just profound here, that in the silence of this little town, and that word wondrous gift reflects on the, the wondering love. The wondrous gift comes from the watch of wondering love. And um, here you, you have a sense here now that our Lord came to make his home among humanity, to become one of us, to dwell with us. And, and here I think you hear the Benedictus a little bit, you know, to bring us salvation. At the very end of the Benedictus, you have that statement how, you know, for salvation and the forgiveness of sins. But that indwelling is ongoing. It remains in our hearts. And you've got to believe that Philip Brooks had Ephesians 3 verse 17 in mind here, where Paul says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth 
and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God is imparting now to human hearts the fullness of God because of the birth of the Christ child. And this is the great blessing of heaven, that where Jesus is, there is heaven. And Jesus is now on earth. So heaven is on earth in the person of Jesus. And notice how Philip Brooks, in in the, the, I guess you'd call it the third part of this stanza, he talked about how silently, how silently, no ear may hear his coming. Okay, so it's... It's so silent, it's so quiet, it's so humble, it's so lowly that it's not even noticed. But the world of sin knows, that those who are sick know, that the Creator has now come to heal it, to make it well, to forgive it, to raise the dead, and that it's meek souls that will receive Him. You know, not the Pharisees, not the Sadducees, not the Romans, not the religious establishment that you know, had different ideas for a Messiah. It's those who are broken, the poor, the humble. They're the ones who are going to receive them. And it is into them that the Christ child enters. And I mean, that is a huge theme in Luke's gospel, how the, the ones who receive him are the, are the ones who are, who are essentially the outcasts, the unclean, the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the meek, you know, and here you can hear the Beatitudes, the meek will inherit the earth. And so in, in many ways, this is a verse where you can see the, the impact now of the, the gift, the wondrous gift that's given. And it's, it's, you know, I mean, the more we talk about this hymn, the more profound we, you begin to see how Phillips Brook was able to bring some incredible theology into this beautiful sort of hymn that paints this very pastoral and very quaint image of Bethlehem. And it is a pure gift, the birth of this Christ. This is something that the world of sin receives in a completely undeserving way. This is an act of pure grace. It is. And in some ways, it's unexpected. This shows what a gift it is. This was not something that humanity asked for. This is something that God initiated going back to Genesis 3. And this this is something that God wanted from the beginning to happen. And it was his promise, and he was faithful to that promise. And the gift that is given here is a gift that is given completely freely. It's free grace, wonderful free grace that that is liberating and and freeing in a way that we can't even imagine. Are there hints there in those last lines you discussed before of John chapter 1, to them or to as many as did receive him? He gave the power to become the sons of God. Yes, I think there is very much so. And on the other hand, that he came to his own and his own received him not. So you had the both sides. And it's do you see that this is a free gift? Do you see that God's way is not the way of the world? It's a way that's completely, as I said before, counterintuitive. It's in humility and meekness and silence in a little town of Bethlehem. The fourth and final stanza, 
O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. This final stanza, the prayer of those meek souls that would receive him. It is, and it is a wondrous stanza if you think about it. I mean, the incarnation was the descent of God. Uh, he came from heaven into this world, as we say in the the uh, Nicene Creed, he came down from heaven. And the language here of abide is very Jehanine. You know you you've... Got, I think, John 14 here in the background where Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. When I hear the word abide, I, I, I always think of Emmaus, you know, and the, the hymn Abide With Us, Fast Falls the Evening Tide. And that abiding, the way God abides with us now is is in his flesh where he's promised to be. And I mean... I can't help but think of the Lord's Supper here, that when we go to the table on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning, Emmanuel, God with us, is abiding with us. And he's dwelling in our hearts. You know, when we talk about Christ in our hearts, we're talking about the person of Jesus, divine in human nature. His flesh abides in us and we abide in him. You know, the heart is the fullness of, of, of what a human being is. And um, he enters in to forgive us, cast out our sin. You know, that's why he comes, to make us holy. And, I mean, in a way, as we remember our baptism, where we were first joined to his flesh, he is born in us again and again today. Today, he comes to us. I was wrong. We do have the angels and the great glad tidings held of the glory and excelsis. We hear them. And what they're proclaiming is that Emmanuel is from, from Matthew, of course, but Emmanuel, God with us. And it's, I mean, in many ways, he, the beautiful picture he paints of Bethlehem, he brings to this remarkable end here where the whole point of the child born in Bethlehem is that not that he would just come into the world on that first Christmas morn, but that he continues now even today, to be among us, the person of Jesus in his flesh. It strikes me here that we, we really cannot, this is the first reference to hearing in this silence, that everything's been silence up to this point. And yet now at the end, as Christ has come, 
and revealed himself, now we can hear the Christmas angel's message. Yeah, because you can't, you can't help but sing the praises of God for bringing this Christ child into the world, as the angels do. And once that song breaks forth, the silence is broken. And I mean that that we re- I referred earlier to the fact that the this the, the tumultuous hymn that that must have been to hear that that hymn that the shepherds witnessed in the in the starry skies. So the silence of Bethlehem is broken by the angels. The angels who sang at that first creation are now breaking forth in the in the new creation with a hymn that we still sing today at every liturgy before the Lord comes to us in His Word where we hear in our ears the wondrous news that he abides with us, that he is Emmanuel, God with us. This stands also really drives home not only the that, and it certainly hasn't been absent in the other stanzas we've been discussing, but not just the that of Christmas, but the why of Christmas. It does. It does. That the wondering love of the angels that they were singing about, that that has now come to the whole climax, that love of God is manifested in the birth of our Lord Emmanuel. I'd like you to put a finer point on the fact that this is something that's deeply sacramental, that not only is he born in us through the water of baptism, he imparts his life to us, or Paul says, I've died, now Christ lives in me, but also in the flesh, in the Lord's Supper, as you said. The Lord is always with us in his flesh. I mean, we can't separate our salvation from the flesh of Jesus. And when I think of, you know, like the Ephesians, you know, the, the Christ fills your heart. He's filled me with himself. I, my flesh now is holy because it's been joined to his holy flesh. And and I, that that is why I go to the supper, because I I need to receive that and have that that reality that I receive in my baptism, that I receive every time I hear the Word of God, to have that reality now affirmed again and again in such a tactile way in which I eat and drink his very body and blood. I mean, this is the thing about Bethlehem. I, I think it's the reason why people put crushes in their homes, because they understand that scene of Bethlehem. I was just talking to my granddaughter yesterday about in Spain, they have crushes, but they call it Belen, which means Bethlehem. Let's go see the Belen, the Bethlehem. And they're all over the city because Christ continues to dwell among us. And I think if you have a sacramental understanding of reality, you understand how that is at the very heart of the gospel itself today. There's one word that has run through this hymn as well that we haven't addressed, and that is both the holy birth and then in this last stanza and petition, O holy child. How do we understand a God who would come to us in all of his holiness and yet in his flesh? Well, one of the things that I always talk about in trying to understand what the core value of uh, of Israel was at the time of Jesus. You know, what is it that defined them? It was the understanding of holiness. You know, Jerusalem is holy and uh, everything in the temple is holy, the holy place, the holy of holies. And that when the holy one, the holy child of Bethlehem is born, 
he now, in a sense, replaces all those holy places with his own flesh. And and the Holy One has to come to an unholy world to make it holy. And, you know, I mean, it's the, you, we talked about reversal. The mystery of the cross is that this Holy One takes into his body all our unholiness and, in a sense, becomes unholy for us so that he might make us holy. I mean, you've you got to believe that the Christmas angels— in singing the glad tidings, are singing about the fact that the Holy Child is now here to make all things holy. And that's what we mean by the new creation. He's come to restore it, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to forgive sins, to raise the dead, all of it culminating in the darkness on the cross where the 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 powers of Satan and sin attack him, and in in his holy flesh, he redeems us and makes us holy. And another way to think of it is, you know, he becomes sin for us. He becomes shame for us so that he might honor us and, and bring honor to us by becoming shame for us. It's the greatest mystery of all. We're studying the Christmas hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem, with Dr. Arthur Just, author of the two-volume Concordia Commentary on Luke and the book Heaven on Earth. We're going to play the entire hymn when we get back and get Dr. Just's final thoughts. Listen to the best of the church's Christmas music during the entire Christmas season at LutheranPublicRadio.org. During the 12 days of Christmas, Lutheran Public Radio, LutheranPublicRadio.org. Psalm 144.1 Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Those serving in the armed forces want LCMS chaplains. We need courageous pastors to bring the gospel and sacraments to those protecting our nation, along with wise counsel and the peace found only in Christ Jesus. If you are between the age of 26 and 43 and have a heart for ministry in the armed forces, call 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Christological, creedal, confessional. You're listening to Issues Etc. It's the days before Christmas and the list is so long of whom to buy what for, so I'll help you along. Ad Crucem has gifts for all budgets and tastes. Our service is quick for shoppers in haste. Pop over to the website adcrucem.com for gifts focused on Christ where it's always belonged. Reminders of his work for saints in this world and his promises eternal, yet to be fulfilled. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatic Series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com and like them on Facebook.
facebook.com slash lutheracademy. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're studying the Christmas hymn, A Little Town of Bethlehem, with Dr. Arthur Just, professor of New Testament, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. If you appreciate our hymn studies, please make a year-end tax-deductible gift to support the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. For a year-end contribution of $250 or more, we'll send you our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism, and a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a secure online donation at issuesetc.org. You can also donate by check. Make your check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your financial support at the end of 2022. Dr. Jess, let's hear the entire hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem, from Musica Sacra.
Doctor, just your final thoughts on this Christmas hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem. On the coffee table in front of the fire in our living room, we have a crash from Guatemala, and it's one we leave there all year long because our grandchildren love to come in and play with it. I think one of the things that we talked about as we began this study was how this is this is a carol for children. It's a carol for what really Christmas is all about, a child, a child born in Bethlehem, a child who came for all of us who come to God as children. And what a blessing this hymn is to recognize that that Christ child came in silence and in humility, and he came so that he could be with us then and now and forever. Dr. Arthur Just is professor of New Testament at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. He's author of the two-volume Concordia Commentary on Luke and the book Heaven on Earth. Dr. Just, have a very Merry Christmas season, and thank you. A Merry Christmas to you as well. In Hour 2 of Issues Etc., Holiday Depression with psychologist Dr. Beverly Yonke of Doxology, the Lutheran Center for Spiritual Care and Counsel. I'm Todd Wilkin. Stay with us. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. What makes Christ Our Savior Lutheran Church in Freeburg, Illinois so special? Our new members talk about the family atmosphere, the welcoming people, and the outstanding music. But most importantly, you'll be confronted with your sin and comforted with the assurance that Jesus has removed that sin so that you can live each day as his baptized and forgiven child. Christ Our Savior Lutheran Church is at 612 North State Street in Freeburg, Illinois. Sunday worship is at 9 a.m., Sunday school and Bible classes at 1020 a.m. Call 618-539-5664. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of his family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, Thanks to our beloved on-demand listeners, Issues Etc. consistently ranks among the top podcasts in religion and spirituality. You can help us climb the charts by subscribing, rating, and reviewing Issues Etc. Type Issues Etc. in your podcast provider, hit the subscription button, and leave us a five-star review. This will make it easier for podcast listeners to find Issues Etc. Help us cast Christ's net on the internet. Subscribe, rate, and review Issues Etc. today.
Confessional Lutherans are invited to rent a four-bedroom, three-bathroom Table Rock lakefront home in the Ozarks. Table Rock Lake is a premier lake in the heart of the Ozarks for boating, water sports, and fishing. This log cabin-style rental sleeps 12 and is 30 minutes from Branson and 20 minutes from Silver Dollar City. Learn more by calling Swanson Estates, 713-855-2681. Be sure to mention Issues Etc., 713-855-2681.